Hey, this is Ryan Joe. This week we're reading Berlin by Jason Lutz. Now, we actually recorded it in August, but for one reason or another, we only just got around to posting it today in November. But actually, I think the timing couldn't be better because on November 8th, that's going to be a very consequential midterm elections. And if there's one thing that this comic shows, which takes place in post-World War I Germany, it's how easily a society buffeted by just economic instability, social unrest, can really just slide into fascism. There's actually quite a few parallels in this week's comic with where we are in America today. So I'm going to get off my soapbox, but before I do, all I'm going to say is please remember to vote because it is more important now than ever before. Roman. So, Thanksgiving is uh, really just around the corner, isn't it? Maybe we should celebrate with some light and inspirational reading. How about Berlin? The 500-page opus by Jason Lutz about the city's descent into fascism and its embrace of the Nazi party during the late 1920s and early 30s. Well, shit. You also find some harrowing parallels with the world we inhabit today. (sighs) Well, double shit. But... You know, Roman, despite the darkness of its subject matter, Berlin by Jason Lutz is is truly a work of graphic fiction that shouldn't be missed. Am I getting ahead of myself? Yes, Ryan, you are. Because harrowing works of graphic fiction inspired by real-world tragedy and events is my thing, not yours. Dude, stick to the body horror. Thank you for that, Roman. The story dives into post-World War I Berlin, a city awash in inflation and internal strife. Lutz takes us into the lives of people as diverse as a disillusioned writer named Severing, a 12-year-old girl named Sylvia, cast into the streets, a group of American jazz singers, a would-be artist named Marta. Lutz's graphic novel dips in and out of their narratives as they navigate the vibrant but increasingly volatile milieu of Berlin. And through their eyes, we can see how and why the city and its people slowly start to embrace the National Socialist Party. Where's Supergirl when you need her? Supergirl can't fight political instability caused by runaway inflation, dude. I'm Roman Segel. And I'm Ryan Joe. And we're two guys who read this book and hope it's not a sign of things to come. Yeah, I'll say. So, Roman, where do you want to start? Man, this was a, a phone book. Here, a cue phone book effect. That's the actual book. This, I was really excited about reading this because, Ryan, I don't know if you know this, but I studied German language and history in college. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my friend. And so what's interesting is we pretty much got to World War One, and <laughs> then we kind of stopped. And we were doing the German history and the paper writing, like, uh, and this all the way up to like the Kaiser, right? Up until this point. And then I kind of had to like supplant, okay, well, what happened? What led to the rise of the National uh, National Social Party, right? <laughs> Partei, the, the Nazis for short. And, you know, you knew that they were like wrecked in war debt and the economy was in shambles, but you didn't know that there was this, I don't want to call it bohemian, but this kind of like roaring 20s vibe that was happening in Germany. And to be fair, a lot of people were in poverty, but the the main characters for the most part are kind of the bourgeois. And Mm -hmm. it, so here's what I'd say. It started out really slow, but I stuck with it because 
I'm fascinated in this period in history, which we don't spend as much time talking about. We just kind of get to Indiana Jones and the Nazis and fighting them and everything that happened afterwards with with the Berlin Wall and East Berlin and West Berlin. So, you know, after about the first hundred pages, it just rips and just starts taking off. So I, uh, long and short, man, this was a great read. And you know, I'm a sucker for like real world historical fiction. So good choice, yeah, my friend. I, yeah, I really, really enjoyed this. This is like a can't miss, can't miss book. You know, I, I a lot of- Episode you know, over. <laughs> well, you know, the, the lead up to- um, you know, World War II as we re, re, or as, to the rise of the Nazi Party as we read about it in our history classes is very much from the point of view of the of, of the political situation that's happening there. Mm-hmm. What this is, what Berlin is really focused on, what Lutz is really focused on, are the lives of the people who are just trying to go about their day and are seeing their country change. And for some people, their perspective is it's changing for the better, and for other people, it's changing for the worse. But you know, you also see how there's really no. There's no real, at the time, there's no real good solution, right? You've got the Nazi party, but then you've got, you know, you've got the Bolsheviks who are trying to kind of gain control and they are very problematic. And of course you have the, the Weimar Republic and that's, you see how that is consistently failing people and starting to itself become a totalitarian state. And even So basically you, you see a split of far left and far right politics with a withering political state. Yeah. <laughs> And, what could go wrong? And nothing, and 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 really, nothing is working for a lot of for a lot of people. It's just it's there's no real good answer. And every political party, or I guess the Bolsheviks and the National Socialists, who are who have both kind of risen from this really kind of bad economic situation and from the incompetence of the Weimar Republic. You know, both both people, both parties are really catering to. You know, they're offering. They're offering solutions red, to red, the red economic, meat to the base. Yeah, yeah, both of them are, and in just different ways. And again, like they're both are, you know, kind of staffed with people who are really kind of erratic and and awful. And you know, you feel for these people who are kind of caught in the middle and don't really want to join either party, and then kind of get pushed in in certain directions. It's, in some cases, it's really for survival, like the the case of the mom. You know, she doesn't really she she kind of sympathizes with the Bolsheviks, at least with their philosophy around you know representing the workers. But when it comes to actually joining and participating in the rallies, she kind of is forced to because she relies on them for housing and and food. Yeah, and I mean, it, you kind of hit the nail on the head. The general populace doesn't have time to deal with like the political machinations there's this moment and i think it's like around page oh it is page 389 and i can't remember the name of the reporter's like former mistress but she's like you know social democrats margaret, national so- margaret. yeah yeah Mar- margaret social democrats national socialists nationalists socialists democrats what difference does it make do you realize there are currently 29 different political parties with seats in the reichstag mm-hmm. you know and it's all just so terribly absurd. And, you know, her her ex says, well, we have to vote for someone. It's our duty, isn't it? And she's like, suit yourself. Personally, I find the novelty has long since worn off. And again, she's like peak bourgeois. But if you think about like, and I guess I would say maybe the bourgeois in this country on both sides are kind of leaning hard. There isn't a lot of action in the middle. Or maybe we're not as aware of the people just kind of going about their lives. But I don't know, man. We're reading this in a very interesting time in America, and I don't think we're 
at the breaking point for a rise of a party, but we have a quasi-nationalist, borderline oh, fascistic yeah. leading party on the rise. And at the same time, I wouldn't time, even say I borderline. A... I would say straight up fascistic. Yeah, and you know, God forbid the FBI should investigate, dear leader. You know, because now people are doing. Ter- it's it's just you see the cracks fraying every day with like the violence being announced or, or being perpetrated but then on the other side and you know i am a left-leaning progressive but you see kind of like far reaching for things that the middle doesn't necessarily want they just kind of want the basics so i i don't it's it's not i don't think it's as bad (laughs) as the bolsheviks but you know i do think the right side is emboldened by seeing what's going on on the far left side in this country and you can't help but draw the parallels when you read this at this oh, time yeah. i'm trying to look at when this was published but this tome but, between 1996 to 20, 2018 uh, I, I i meant to get to that in the introduction it was like a 20 year project wow yeah you can tell like you know it's interesting you know there's this historical project i've been working on for years and when my my creative partner and I like mapped out the pages of script to, you know, there's like some rule about script to panels and how many pages to, to panel, blah, blah, blah. Like we got to 700 pages based on what we've written. And I was like, that will never be done. And then I finished reading Berlin and I was like, God damn it, this can be done. But it took the guy 20 years. That's, and it all came out at the same time or was it coming out? As he big? he planned it out as like, I think, 24 issues reduced it to 22. And then I think it was eventually collected into three books. And then, of course, what we have is the the full full collection. Yeah. And so yeah. I guess what I'm saying is like this. Can, it, this reminded me of The Wire in the sense mm. that I don't yes. know if you, you've ever watched it. You know, it's, a dis- like, oh it's, a dissection, it's a dissection of a city, right? Through the eyes of the people who live there. In different classes sure but i was just gonna say the consumption difficulty like everyone tells you you should oh. watch the wire and you try watching it and you try one episode and you give up and then someone else tells you you should watch it and you try two episodes and you give up and then the third person's like just sit through the first five episodes force yourself to watch it and then you get pulled in and i think that's what happened here yeah. like i think if you just pick this up because we told you to you're not going to make it far like you have to force yourself to power through it for the payoff to happen and the payoff starts to happen a third of the way in because it's so much table setting of okay these are just like people living in a city that's the point that's the point like these are just people living in a city and then shit starts to get real and it just creeps up on you too yeah that's that's what that's actually it reminded me a lot of the wire in the way that each episode or each season of the wire is kind of looking at a different industry within mm-hmm. within baltimore cops obviously the drug dealers but then later on you've the, got unions, teachers, the unions you've got the, the unions, unions. city got, hall yeah yeah you've got city hall and he actually kind of does the same thing it's not as like structure where each episode where each you know volume deals with a different part of berlin but he has different characters who are representative of different parts of berlin like severing is very much in touch with what's happening from a political standpoint the media journalist yeah, yeah, but he's also kind of very concerned about, you know, when Berlin or when Germany starts building, you know, aircraft against the against treaty. <laughs> or, you know, you know, and and then you've got his his mistress, Marta, who kind of goes on this tour of all of the different clubs, the the, the lesbian clubs, the jazz clubs. She's really kind of she's young and she's just kind of like exploring all that Berlin has to offer. And so you have this different look at Berlin. And then you've got the jazz musicians who are kind of looking at how these, you know, how, about their interaction. Yeah. 
Taurus, but also their interaction with the inter- I guess the entertainment industry within Berlin. And you, you know, it's course- interesting, really, really quick and worth noting because I just listened to an interview with Ken Burns, and he has a new documentary about not just the rise of fascism, but how it was happening in America and how the Nazis took so much of their playbook from Jim Crow. And like every time America tried to like point fingers at what was happening with the National Socialists and the rise of fascism in Germany, Germany would just point back to us and be like, Mississippi, shut up, America. Like, it's so it's just fascinating. Like, and you don't see as I mean, you do see the rise of anti-Semitism a little bit, but it's just kind of around the edges because there aren't a lot of Jewish characters other than that, that one. Well, family. yeah, it's, it's, it's also interesting how the, the position that the Jews occupy as well. And you do get a sense of sort of like the Jewish diaspora that exists mm-hmm. in Berlin at the time. There's the, there's the rich family of the Schwartzes, I think. And then, of course, you've got the the junk dealer, the mm-hmm. the beggar. And the way that those two, you know, the, the, the kind of middle class, upper middle class Jewish family interacts with the beggar, the, the junk dealer. He's not really a beggar. He's, he's like a junk dealer. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's really interesting. I didn't realize um, he was Jewish, but that makes sense. Yeah. yeah he's yeah. Remember that he gets assaulted by the Nazis. Uh, they say, mm-hmm. Oh, I know what you really are. You know, and, and the way he interacts with the world is very interesting, especially once he takes in Sylvia because Sylvia is German and he's kind of like her protector for a time. And there's mm-hmm. a scene when they're in this mess hall and he kind of says to her, okay, it's best if it looks like you're not with me. Mm-hmm. And she, you know, she picks up on that and tries to befriend a kid or act like mm-hmm. she's a sister to some kid. And it's really interesting how that inter- how that relationship comes to a head because as much as he's looking out for her, it becomes very, very clear as the Nazis start to take over Berlin how dangerous it is for him and by extension how dangerous it is for her to be with him. And he basically has to say, okay, you, you need to... You need to go your own way. Like, he can't protect her anymore. He can't even protect himself. And... Well, I think what's most scary about the Nazis in this book is they're not the Indiana Jones, like mustache twirling villains. It's effectively just a political group rising in extremism and effectively becomes a gang, kind of like the Bolsheviks, you know, and it's providing law and order to people who want it. Like there's this one page. This is the only page I dog-eared. There were so many I could have, but it's, and it actually has nothing to do with any of the major characters. But it's like an old man getting ready for dinner with his wife. And they're listening to the radio about the upcoming election. Mm. And it's just a husband and wife talking. This is page 385. I know, what you're t- I know exactly the scene you're talking about. That, one left an- that scene left an impression on me too. That That's the scene when Germany turned right there. Because basically the radio's talking about, you know, an ad about the communists this, the fascists that. And her husband's like, Johan? The, the wife is like, Johan? And he's like, we're voting National Socialist. And she's like, I can't do that. And he's like, you can and you will. I let you march with the Reds last year against my better judgment. It almost got you killed. We need someone to keep order around here. We can't have 1918 all over again. I wouldn't be able to bear it. And at that point, you know, a little bit of argument. And he's like, the Nazis are right there every time, pal. Or sorry, the Reds are starting more and more fights every day. And the Shupo can't keep on top of them. The Nazis are right there every time, pal. They're the ones keeping order. So we're voting National Socialist. And it just ends on a matter-of-fact look. Yeah. And I think that's kind of where... That's powerful. The Nazis they, were elected. They were yeah. duly elected to power. Oh, yeah. You know, they. you see, I think, he's. you see a bunch of a bunch of the people who kind of embrace the Nazi party. You, you see why. And it's not because they're 
explicitly anti-Semitic, exception being, of course, the the father character right. in the beginning mm-hmm. who joins because he, he, you know, he he. I mean, for a bunch he of needs different security. reasons, but he, he is, needs a job, right? But yeah. he is also anti. He is also anti-Semitic. He he associates the Bolsheviks with the Jews. You know, you know, what my it, you know it, what my real fear was Ryan. My real fear was you know you in, you meet and you kind of start to fall in love with a lot of characters yeah. at the beginning of the book. I and. Thankfully, spoiler alert, none of them like slide into fascism. Well, <laughs> but I thought that's what was going to happen. Margaret, Margaret, Mar- I never Margaret, liked her though. The I never liked her. Yeah, she's like from, but you never. She's like Daisy from The Great Gatsby. You know? Yeah, no, no, no. Okay. She is. Well, so is Marta in a way, though she's less destructive. But Margaret, you know, when you first meet her, she's young and she's mourning all of the soldiers who died in World War One, and she and Severing have this kind of really genuine connection because there are two characters who are grieving in their own way. And then later on, you see Margaret become a little bit, you know, she's rich, she's wealthy, she becomes a little bit more frivolous. She kind of is able to hide behind the trappings of her wealth and her privilege, and Severing, you know, is is still Severing. And so they, they grow apart. They have a tryst, they have a relationship, they grow apart. But even, you know, when you, I was just kind of reading Margaret's earlier dialogue with Severing when she's young, she says things like, who can be happy these days? We have lost. We are lost. And you can see how that despair eventually leads her to embrace the Nazi party, even as she kind of feigns indifference. You know, why she's so attracted to the the promise of order and restoration that the Nazis were were brandishing. And so, you know, in a way, even even early on, you know, she, if she was like the one character I remember thinking, oh, I think I can see her starting. She's going to be the one to really embrace the Nazis. And boiler alert, of course, she she does. But it's a it's it's a psychological twist that is that you can that you can understand, at least. And of course, you know, I, I, I just I just think of like sever that the reaction when severing realizes mm-hmm. that she supports Hitler they're having this sort of goodbye party or this goodbye. <laughs> yeah, she's real nasty. She's real nasty about it. But then she kind of says, "Yes, I'm. I'm have a party tonight for for Hitler for Herr Hitler." And I really love the way Lutz just dramatizes Severing's shock. You know, all you know, you, you see the word balloons, but there's they're they're, yeah. they're not filled with anything. You know, he's like he's 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 registering the talking, but he doesn't hear any of it, and it's just this sudden. This it's like the, the 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 bottom. This woman that he once loved and that he still you know really respected as a friend, even despite her issues, the bottom just sort of like drops out from underneath him. And then there's that final scene where he kind of skulks to her estate where he'd been before many times, and mm. sees them throwing this Nazi party. He sees Hitler kissing her hand, and he realizes, okay, he you know there's that 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 relationship is dead. You know that relationship that had. They've been through so much, but there's just that's kind of like the point of no return for him. Yeah, I you know a couple things about the Nazis and the portrayal. One, it's interesting that Hitler makes cameos, <laughs> and yeah. and they're poignant cameos where he does show the the scene on the train, etc. But a question I have for you, and this is a silly one, but throughout most of the book, with the exception of like two or three scenes, you know, with armbands and flags and everything, the swastika is not actually shown. And I wonder if that's an intentional choice. Yeah, um, I think I think it looks. is. I think, you know, because it, it's so powerful, right? Once you see a Nazi, you kind of know the situation. But I think what Lutz was trying to do, one of the things he was trying to do was show the slow slide into Nazi, to, into the embrace of 
the Nazi Yeah, because party. If, if we see a swastika, we're instantly going to know they're all bad they're guys. They're all assholes, right? But in reality, I, I was actually thinking that. I was like, oh, is this... Maybe the swastika didn't come till later because I know it was Hitler like usurping literally a piece of Hindu symbolism, the swastika, a sign of unity. But and I was like, oh, well, maybe he added it later. But I think the point is it was this innocuous movement with black armbands. That's all it was. But kind of just seeing these guys in quasi uniforms with black armbands, it's it's kind of like, oh, they're just kind of like a harmless street gang, you know, and it creeps up on the country so fast. And to me, like, if there's one, like, cautionary story, like, I kind of wish every Republican would listen to, is just, like, it will creep up on us so fast. And before you know it, it's too late. And maybe you have nothing to fear, you know, if if you fit a current certain mold. But I don't know, man. Like, well, yeah, maybe I shouldn't be as scared as I am. But, like, I do get scared. I mean, it's born of people who want order. It's born of, you know, feckless government. It's born of, of, of inflation, of, of great economic inequality. And so that kind of creates this sort of desperation that makes people susceptible to the sort of strong man who's going to come in and say, well, you know, I'll fix everything. Only, only I can fix it. Only, only I can, I can fix, fix it. it. You've heard that before. We've heard that very recently, right? So, you know, obviously this, this, was, this was published before the rise of, of, of Trump. But, I mean, the parallels are, are very close and, and very uncomfortable to be honest, because we know how the story plays out. And it's 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 one that we can see starting to play out as much as people say never again. It's, you know, it, it happens again because people allow it to happen, because people embrace it. People want it to happen. And that's that's what's scary. That That's that's genuinely what's I mean, this book. This is where historical fiction gets me, man. This book scared me significantly more than any of the weird-ass Junji Ito that you make me read. Like, seriously. <laughs> I, I, th- I think truth is... Tr- not, it's not truth is stranger than fiction. Truth is scarier than fiction. And history has a way of repeating itself. And uh, I, I, it definitely wasn't triggering, but it's just like, again, the the mundane nature and the struggles of these people and following them over the course of five years, the impoverished, the bourgeois, the media elites... You can just kind of like trace the path through the story of like five or six people of how did this happen? Well, it's it actually makes sense how this happened. Yeah, I, I think one thing that Lutz is so good at throughout this is making, you know, as much as there's this overarching political situation, it really is about the people who live in Berlin and even even people who don't show up for more than a page, for instance, you know, get so get a lot of attention like there's the scene where Severing is going off and interviewing, you know, different people about why they joined the communist party. And then after the interview is over, you know, they do the, they they say their thing. And then after the interview is over, Lutz lingers on them for like a full on page. And they will just, and just kind of follows them as they go back to work, leave work. What do they do after work? They maybe go to the bar and then they go home or they have, a homosexual tryst in one guy's case, he <laughs> follows, he just kind of follows them for a page and just shows this is what their lives are like. And it makes this book feel very full, right? There are no side characters in this book. They're just people who we happen to spend a little bit more time with than others. Yeah, and I think you got another, go ahead. Yeah, go on. I was going to say, that's another thing. It's like Berlin. And I, I've been there a couple of times, but it, at the time, it was a cosmopolitan swinging city. I mean, very like queer friendly, 
or queer tolerated black jazz bands flying through the city. Like it's just, it was the, it was one of the places to be, you know, and I'm not saying like, you know, in a modern day civil war in America, New York city, we, we absolutely should read DMZ probably <laughs> by Brian Wood about a modern day civil war that breaks out with extreme cases. But like uh, it could happen here. That's, I think that's kind of the point. Berlin was the center of the action, one of the centers of Europe. Yeah, you, you really I mean, and that's something that that Lutz, I think, captures very well. But I was reading, by the way, that Lutz had never been to Berlin, which which surprised <laughs> me. But I guess maybe it doesn't matter because the Berlin when he was writing this was not the same as the Berlin of the 1920s and 30s. But, you, um, but, but, you, but what's, what's very funny is it, it is actually, you know, Berlin is a tech hub. Berlin is a queer friendly hub. Berlin is a city that doesn't want to forget about where it came from. When you walk through the city, you see these kind of like just, you know, markers everywhere about what it, what once was, you know, not just during the Berlin Wall era, but World War II. It's, it's a city that's not going to forget, but a city that's really moving forward. It's, it's a really interesting city. I, I'll just leave it at that. And I don't think, unlike America, they don't want to forget. They don't want to sanitize their kind of sordid past, whereas we kind of sweep it under the rug, be it Tulsa, Jim Crow, et cetera, et cetera. One thing I wanted to ask you is that it took you 50 pages, maybe 100 pages before you really got interested in this book. And I, I was actually the same way. It took me about a week to read the first hundred pages and then maybe a day to read the final 400, mm-hmm. 450. <laughs> <laughs> it was sort of like, wow. Okay. Why do you think, why, why do you think that is? I, I have a couple of, I was thinking about that, just the pacing of it. Why it started off so slow and then suddenly just skyrocketed. Well, I only gave myself four days to read it. So I, and I think I, I work best with a deadline, like a fast looming deadline. So for the first two nights, it was like 50 page reads before I went to bed because I'm I'm just tired. And then it became I got to squeeze in the time to make it. And then it was just like I wanted to squeeze in every minute, not just because I had to finish it by deadline. I finished it a day early. But I, I think the why of it is the the style and the nature of the art. It is very literal. It doesn't leave a lot for interpretation. I mean, this is like a scene by scene block of of action, right? So I think that's the first thing. It just, you have to get used to that very literal pacing that it has. And honestly, the first hundred pages are just kind of boring. I, I I mean, I'll leave it at that. It's, it's all table dressing. It's meet these people, meet these people. And you get a little bit confused about who these people are. As much as I don't want to go reread a 500 page omnibus, I think now that I know who everyone is, I might refer to it. I noticed in the back of the, um, I noticed in the back of the omnibus that I'm guessing we both read, there's a cast of characters and the description of each of the characters is super helpful. And it would have been helpful to have that at the front of the book, not at the back. To kind I'm of actually, I was thinking about that. I was actually glad that they had it at the back because I would have just kept going back and trying to refer to it. It did force me to really kind of engage in the comic. Um, yeah, but no look, but look at some of these characters, and I'm. Uh, this is a semi-racist thing. They, they, a lot of them kind of look the same, and well, it's kind of hard to tell the difference. Initially, yeah, I would say like Sylvia, for instance, and and Martha look the same. But you know, I, the, the other thing is that as you read more, it becomes very clear who's who. You, you, of you course, stop, of course. But I, so I think, I think in the beginning, I'm, it's definitely a much clunkier way of telling the story. I don't think he knows which characters he wants to follow either. There's like an artist who is like kind of very quiet, a little bit creepy. Looks like a little bit like Frankenstein. He shows up really mm. only in the beginning. He, I think the last we see of him, he's sort of drawing 
these like naked women or oh, he's not drawing mm-hmm. his it's, it's basically his studies i think because mm-hmm. he's an art student mm-hmm. he throws his drawing out the window and we never really go back to him or know his and i kind of think that he's one of those characters that loose maybe had an idea for him and then it just didn't work out and i think there were a lot of characters in the beginning that he follows around and we're not sure like a lot of the art students for instance he follows mm-hmm. them around mm-hmm. gives them a lot of attention we're not sure why and he doesn't really you know, well, it's world day, building. It's world building. There's no minor characters, right? Well, I, yeah, but I, I wasn't sure whether it's because he was thinking that maybe they might play a bigger role and ultimately didn't, or if they were. He was just trying to establish again the the world of of Berlin that these characters inhabit, and and maybe it's a little bit of of both as well. But definitely, I think you know, in the beginning, you were literally kind of thrown into Berlin, right? You meet these two strangers who eventually become the main characters, Severing and Martha, and then. On a train, they don't know each other. They strike up a casual, friendly conversation and then go their separate ways. And then you just meet a whole bunch of different people all at once. And it's like that feeling of being thrust into the middle of a city where you know nobody and you don't know what to pay attention to. And some people are interesting, some people aren't, but you don't know like really where your focus should be. And I, that can be really kind of overwhelming. And I think the early experience of reading Berlin is overwhelming. There's so many characters going through so many different little dramas and you have no idea what's important. And then as you start following these characters more, it becomes obvious what their personal dramas are, where they sit in this Berlin landscape. And that's when the story really starts to take off because then you start to understand their relationships with each other and what they want and how they feel about the current social slash political situation. Yeah. (laughs) This book's a lot to take in. It it sits with you. It I, I can't help but draw a parallel. Again, again, these are specific things that happen in 1930s Berlin, but and it's human. It's a character study, not unlike The Wire. It just, you can't help but draw the parallels to what people must be feeling and doing as we speak. And is this the sort of story that's going to be told 50 years from now about what was happening in, you know, well, I sure as shit hope not. I sure as shit hope that story's a little bit brighter. But I just I do also want to say like like every especially towards the later panels, like you know, his his art style changes. It's a little bit more crude early on. But later on, I would just say like every panel is just packed with so much detail. Like I don't know if you if you look at page two sixty to two sixty one, where the musicians are kind of hanging out in bars and then this guy, you know, he goes to the dressing room of this of this woman that he's courting. Mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. it's just like it's just such a it, it's a sequence that's just so rich in these little details i mean berlin just feels so alive and i also want to give lutz credit for having like two pages in a jazz bar where the musicians are playing and he's trying to create the sensation of listening to jazz, of jazz. Of jazz. visually yeah. Right, but without any obviously, there's no music that goes along with it. So he's trying to create the sensation of jazz just through the panels, and through the through the layout, and through the the close-ups of this guy's clarinet as he rocks it back and forth. It's just, I it's mean, just it, a really yeah. No, I I was just like, it's just such a he's so good at at conveying a sense of place, whether that place is sort of like a bordello or a jazz club or a you know a, a lesbian a speakeasy or. A rich woman's or uh, or a, or a fight between Nazis and Bolsheviks. Like yeah. I think, th- so much of the book is punctuated by stop and listen talking heads over and over and over again. So it is a slow burn, and you just have to kind of pay attention and read between the lines and the panels of what's happening. But there's so many moments of just like 
pure silence of taking a girl back to your room, watching the jazz music, Bolsheviks and Nazis getting into fights, runaway chase scenes. It's punctuated action, and he's a master of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he 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 definitely knows how to kind of use, you know, both action and silence. I mean, I kind of go back to that scene where, where Severin realizes that Margaret is throwing a party for, for Hitler, not just as Hitler. a supporter yeah. of the Nazi parties, but she is straight up fundraising for them. And I just, that, that scene where everything just gets eerily quiet for him when he realizes what's going on, I think it's just, it's just, it's just stunning. There's a, there's an, actually another sequence also that I really liked where you see these notes, you know, it's, it's basically the, mus- the musicians again and the notes become birds. And then it kind of cuts to the next scene with birds just kind of flying through the, through the sky. I just, it's just, even though, you know, you said the art is very literal, which it is, it's also very virtuosic and very, very, really good at just creating a sense of emotion and a sense of shock sometimes. I, I, let me give you another example. On three, page 337, this couple is arguing and... The couple is like this, these deadbeats, and the landlady had gone to some Bolsheviks and said, "Hey, could you just take care of these two for me?" Yeah, and then she's kind of thinking, "Why? Well, I, I, I sure they, I sure hope they don't hurt him too bad." And there's this knock at the door, and then you turn the page as he's opening it, and it's just two panels um, of these two thugs. In and the you first know what's panel, happen. and in the second panel, the thug is raising the gun, and then. There's a sound effect that basically gets cut off halfway in the page. It's like the guy is like, he only hears half the gunshot before he dies. And then everything just goes white. And I thought that was brilliant too. Like just a, a just a, a brilliant way of just, it's a shocking moment. Also, even though you know violence is going to happen to this guy, the way it happens is just so incredibly shocking despite being expected. And I, I think that's just a, a product of the power of Lutz's visual storytelling. He's just really, really, really good at creating a sense of pacing. So even though you know what's going to happen, you're still surprised when it does. Yeah, and, and again, it, it, those moments kind of punctuate a lot of the exposition that happens. Because life isn't an action movie. You know, Life is life, and the kind of action happens in between not at the moments you want and never in the way you kind of expect them. That's kind of what happens in Berlin over the years that this novel takes us through. Yeah. It's the better, it's, it's the better part of a decade, honestly, minus the flashbacks to the, you know, the end of world war one. I. I mean, it's, it's a decade's descent into fascism. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not going to ask you if you'd recommend this book. Cause I know the answer to that, but let me ask you, no, 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 no. But, but ask who I would recommend it to. Well, I, I figure you recommend it to all of your Republican friends, but <laughs> that, you know. that's that's actually exactly who needs to read it. No, I mean, but even even all of our liberal progressive friends who don't think this could happen, this could happen here. Like, I think that's the thing. Whichever side you're on, like, it's a slow descent, and when norms, of, yeah, I, I don't know, man. I think I also want to emphasize that even as scary as it is, it's not exactly like a, it, it's not a fully depressing book. I mean, it is dark, right? Dark things do happen, but there's a vibrancy to it throughout. And there's a yeah, joy yeah. to the way they're to, living their lives. To the way, yeah, yeah I mean, to the way a lot of the people are living their lives. Right. They're, they're just. Marta, Mar- Mar- Marta's story is, I mean, she's the hero of this book. Severing is kind of like a strong supporting actor, 
this is Marta's story. It's it's multiple people's stories, but Marta is the every person through through whom you live through Berlin. I think. I think the thing about Marta also is that she's so, I mean, she says this herself. She doesn't really know who she is. She doesn't really know who she wants. And in a way, it's sometimes that's frustrating because she doesn't even know who she wants to sleep with. But, you know, she is that sort of character who just is, is, is kind of thrust into Berlin as a blank slate. She's trying to escape. There's this uncertainty. And she, and she does bookend the, 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 the graphic novel. And it begins with her on a train and it ends with her. It begins with her on a train entering Berlin and it ends with her on a train leaving Berlin. And yeah, so she is, I don't want to say she's like necessarily the moral compass of the book, but maybe she's sort of the blank slate on which, you know, kind of like, you know, she's the person, she's sort of like the view that we have into Berlin, into all of the different aspects of of Berlin during this time period. Maybe not all the different aspects, but but a lot of them. She's our vehicle. Hmm. So Ryan, I have to ask: Would you recommend this to anyone? Yeah, of course. I, I, I mean, it, the books, the book is amazing. It's, it's. I don't want to use the word masterwork, but it, it really kind of is, just in terms of how it tells its story, the ambition of the story, the way it just kind of harnesses the graphic medium in a way that I think few books really do. We were talking about ultrasound, which did things graphic to communicate like a sense of just like this psychological chaos, and. I, I think Lutz is also just as innovative, even though he's just working in black and white ink. But the way he he knows how to pace things, the way he's able to take all, like the way he uses also is like sound effects, I think is amazing in a lot of places. So there's like so much that Jason Lutz does that is that I think really kind of pushes the form of graphic storytelling. And it, you know that's 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 irregardless of the of the amazing story that he's telling within Berlin. So yeah, I absolutely would would recommend this. It's 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 a you know if you're if you even whether you want to you know know about how people can how cities and countries can descend into fascism or if you're just very interested in the possibilities of graphic storytelling as an art form, comics as an art form. I think Berlin really kind of checks all those boxes. And that's our show. Like what you heard? Be sure to share with a friend, subscribe, and leave us a review wherever you get your favorite podcasts. See lots of pretty pictures of the books we read at qtdcomics.com. And since we're sure no one's listening, prove us otherwise. Shoot an email over to say what I got right and what Ryan got wrong. QTDcomics at gmail.com. Give you a social media handle, but we're old, and that feels like too much work. I'm Roman Segel. And I am and have always been Ryan Jones.